Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whittle. Now I'm delighted that my guest this week first was on our show last year. Uh, it is Dave Rubin of the phenomenally successful Rubin Report, which was actually, I have to say, a bit of an inspiration for this show. Um, Dave also wrote a book last year called Don't Burn This Book, which was all about the woke revolution and how we should handle it. Uh, thank you very much for joining us again, Dave. It's good to be with you again. Boy, I, I think we spoke probably late April or early May and yeah. just in the, you know, seven or so months since then, man, it feels like a different world already. I, I well, wish I, I had not predicted a lot of this, but uh, here we are. <laughs> Yes, when when we talked there, we 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 talked about your book, and uh, and basically, you know, I was just praising it there, but it covered a lot of other ground too. But I was very interested, and I wanted to start really by asking you this: you you did a tweet recently, um, and we in the tweet you said, uh, "There's a great challenge now for anyone and everyone non woke." Uh, can you expand on that a bit, Dave? What what's the nature of that challenge? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people think that the political divide or the great philosophical divide is somehow Democrat versus Republican or conservative versus liberal or left versus right. But in many ways, I would argue that it's pretty much everybody versus woke. So, of course, I'll define what woke means. But first, when I say everybody, what I mean by everybody is whether you're sort of an old school classical liberal, which I think is sort of where we're at, which is in many ways is a modern day libertarian, or maybe you have some more traditionally conservative beliefs about family or religion or something like that, but you believe in individual rights and rule of law and those things. And then we can, we can debate all of the issues. What should the tax rate be? Should abortion be legal? Death penalty, et cetera, et cetera. But you have a basic belief in individual rights and that everyone in a free society should be treated equally, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, color of their skin, all of those things. Th that's sort of the bedrock of Western society. And I think most people in your country, in my country, in most Western countries, I think most people believe in that, even if they don't know it. Now, what has mm -hmm. happened is this woke culture, this hyper-partisan, in many ways, uh, religiously dogmatic idea that we should judge each other on the color of our skin, that we should judge each other on our sexuality and our gender, that those immutable characteristics supersede all of the thoughts that we have and the actions that we do, that idea has now been imported into the West and is taking hold of all of our institutions. I mean, just you know, in the last week or so since Joe Biden has been inaugurated, a lot of my sort of quote unquote good liberal friends, you know, somewhat centrist moderates, they thought, OK, I can't vote for Trump. He's just a, an aesthetic injury to me, as my friend Gad Zad says, an aesthetic injury. I can't do Trump. So I'm going to vote for Biden because he's not really the crazy far left woke mm. thing, except what we're seeing just in the first you know, week or 10 days of the administration is that all of the appointments they're, be, they're making are based on immutable characteristics. So Pete Buttigieg is now the transportation sector, secretary. He was the mayor of uh, a small town in Indiana. He's gay. Now, I have no problem with gay people. I'm married to a gay guy. That's, that's pretty okay with being gay. 
Um, so, but, but, but you don't just get a job because of that. I yeah. would prefer that we have someone that's in charge of sec, uh, transportation who has expertise in transportation. We have a new, I think, deputy uh, health secretary who's trans. I have no problem with trans people. I want all people to be treated equally, of course. Uh, but this is a person who also took uh, her own, I believe it was her father, out of an old age home while she was putting while she was putting orders in place to have COVID people sent back to old age homes, and we all know how that worked out. Mm. Um, so, so when I say that it's everyone versus woke, it's everyone versus this ideology that says you are just whatever we can see, and that's mm. the sum totality of who you are. And now we are going to use the power of ever expanding government to basically rejigger society according to how we feel you should behave. And of course that keeps white Christian straight men, th those are the worst, mm. and it will elevate everyone on that. And, and the truth is that nobody wants to be judged that way. Nobody wants to be treated that way. And I think even those people, if you really could, could get them to sit down and talk, which is very difficult, they would even understand at some level that they would wanna be judged on their actions and their thoughts and their words rather than just their skin color. But it, it's an, Difficult conversation to have, unfortunately. Well, I mean, since you mentioned the inauguration there, and of course, just after that, there were these various executive orders that were signed in by the new president. Do you, I mean, if you could just tell us a bit about those, there were some specific ones, I think, to do particularly with uh, critical race theory. Um, to what extent is this a kind of victory, if you like, for woke, uh, Dave? Well, I would say right now, Woke's feeling pretty emboldened, and, yeah. and you can really feel that. It feels that people people feel that if they say anything that's non-Woke, that they're going to either get banned from Twitter or Facebook or YouTube, or they could potentially lose their job or be shamed from society. I mean, even, even listen to the language coming out of mainstream media right now, at least in the United States, but I'm sure you guys are getting some version of this. It's basically saying, if you were a Trump supporter, so roughly 74 million people in America, mm -hmm. 74 million people, if you were a Trump supporter or a conservative, at this point, you're, you're sort of like a domestic terrorist or you've been duped by misinformation, you have to be reprogrammed. I mean, these are their words, not mine, that they're saying about half mm -hmm. the country. We, we've been covering this a lot on my show. This is dangerous stuff. You know, look, I don't think Donald Trump was, was the greatest person to ever exist. I, I did not vote for him the first time around. I did the second time around because I thought he was the one person that was going to stand up to this stuff. But in terms of the executive actions, uh, look, this is a very poor way of being governed. You know, our, we're supposed to be governed by three branches of government and the legislative branch, of course, Congress and the Senate is supposed to write laws, the executive branch, the president's supposed to sign laws, and the judicial branch is supposed to make sure that those laws are actually legal. That's how the system is supposed to work. But it doesn't really work that way. What we've been left with is that presidents basically govern via executive action. And of course, the problem with that is that you know, it just goes every four years. We're just going to reverse what the other guy did, depending on who's in office. So Trump signs stuff. We get governed a certain way for four years. Then Biden comes in day one, reverses that. And if Biden's a one term president, which I suspect he will be, well, then if there's a Republican, they'll just flip it again. So it's it's a very bipolar way of being governed. And it's the founders would would not be happy if they saw that because they wanted decentralized power. They didn't want the president. I mean, that was the whole purpose of the founding mm -hmm. of the United States. Why, why were we upset with King George, right? 
That was the purpose. And we've, for some reason, I think it has to do with the cult of personality. I think it has to do with media and, and the way we worship people rather than think through ideas. Uh, you get you get this endless executive action situation, which is not good. We've uh, some of the things that we've been hearing uh, reported here is that, for example, uh, trans women should be allowed absolutely to participate in women's sport. That, that sort of somehow has, has come about as a result of these executive orders. And, and I wondered about the, obviously President uh, Trump wanted, uh, indeed did uh, reverse funding, federal funding when it came to critical race theory. These have all been put into reverse, have they not? Yeah, well, the, look, the trans thing, I mean, look, again, Peter, I know you also have no problem with trans people as people. And I, I want people to be treated equally. I want people to be treated with respect. I hope that anyone that, that wishes to transition, that feels that that's the right path for them, I hope they can do it safely and, and have a good life and all of those things. The idea, though, that you would want biological men who have transitioned to female mm. to be in female sports is anti-woman. It's anti-feminine. It's anti-feminism. I mean, in essence, so this is what they would say. I mean, there's I, this is how this whole thing will collapse. One day, about a year from now, there's going to be a former NBA professional basketball player who's kind of washed up. He's 38 years old. He's out of the league and he's going to go, you know, I don't have a job and this seems a little weird. I'm going to just say I'm trans now. And then he's going to transition to a woman or whatever, whatever the bare minimum is to, to get that qualification. And he's going to be the superstar MVP of the WNBA. And all the feminists will have to say this is the greatest thing ever because we're pro-trans. So in many ways, the trans movement is actually against the feminist movement. Mm -hmm. and, and sorry, the second, oh, the other one that you asked about was the critical race theory. Mm. Look, this is a deeply dangerous set of ideas that Trump did the right thing by trying to get out of our federal system, meaning get it out of the military, get it out of our public education, the idea that you would be judged on the color of your skin. Look, we're only two weeks off of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. What, what did he want? We all know this. He didn't want his children to be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And yet, for some reason, that's now the reverse of what the supposed tolerant liberals are telling us. If, he, if Martin Luther King Jr. was to say that today, he would be considered a right winger, a conservative, mm. he would be considered yeah. he would be considered a deplorable and mainstream mm. media would be saying he's somehow a sellout and needs to be deprogrammed. I mean that that's just deeply dangerous. Do you think that there is a real chance that say Martin Luther King will be reassessed, you know, yes. in the light of all of this? Oh, I, I think absolutely. Look, if you're gonna say that it's okay to take down statues, and, and I think we can have a, a very robust debate about what you do with some of these statues. My preference would be that you don't take statues down. You can add plaques that can give more context. I would sort of be okay, I've said, with moving some of them to museums. The problem is then they wanna burn the museums down, so it's not a perfect solution. But once you start judging all of our historical characters on our, our uh, beliefs of the day, the, the whims of the day, well, that's very, very dangerous. And let's not forget the progressives of 2040 in 20 years from now, are going to burn down the Obama library because Barack Obama came in first term against gay marriage. And in mm, 20 yeah. years, that will mean yeah. he was a homophobe. He was on the wrong side of something that was so obviously right in terms of civil rights. 
and they will say that the Barack Obama library should be burned down and any, you know, any plaque or mm. whatever to him should be taken away. I think the same thing's coming for Martin Luther King Jr. because those ideas are so an antithetical to each other. One is judge on immutable characteristics. One is judge on content of character. So why wouldn't they come after him? What they'll tell mm. you is, oh no, he was just trying to suck up to the white yeah. man and the power yeah. structure yeah. and the rest yeah. of it. And, yeah. and it, these, are, these are intractable ideas. And I think that's the problem that Western society is facing right now, that there is, there is no common ground on these things. And that's why I say it's everyone versus the woke. The rest of us, whether you're a little more liberal on certain things or a little more conservative or, or a little more libertarian, the rest of us have agreed. We've had a long agreement in Western society that it's okay to disagree about these things, that we have free and fair elections, and we try to fight for what we believe in. The woke have decided it's our way or we're going to destroy you. And what do you do with that in a free society? I don't know that we have the answer yet. You mentioned there about the, what, 74 million people who voted for, for Trump. You know, Dave, is there, is there a Trumpism which actually could be taken up by somebody else. If, if Donald Trump is out of the picture, let's just say he is, um, yeah. you've got these people, you know, who voted for him, followed him religiously. Is, is there a possibility that someone else, and is there somebody around who could actually take the mantle up? Well, look, you, you can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. Whatever, whatever Trumpism means to people, uh, whether that's America first, whether that's make America great again, whether it's some version of that that I'm not comfortable with, uh, whatever that is, it can't be completely attached to a man. Trump was one man who, who in many ways, love him or hate him or whatever you think happened over the last few weeks, he did something extraordinary. He did something against the system. And at the end, the system fought back and it banned him from everything. And now it'll post impeach him and, and a series of other things. Again, that does not make Donald Trump perfect. It doesn't make all his decisions right. I think especially at the end, he made a whole bunch of bad choices, but it is what it is. The movement of being proud of being American, of, of you know, believing that this is a good place, that the American experiment is good, that you can have national pride, that, that you shouldn't import these terrible ideas that we're talking about, like critical race theory, that has to survive Trump. So the question is, well, okay, is there some sort of traditional Republican, you know, a Mitch McConnell type who's going to take that mantle? I mean, I don't think so. I think those, mm -hmm. those guys are just what Trump would have said are swamp creatures. There's going to be somebody. I don't know who it is. And, and again, the ideas have to be bigger than the man. And mm -hmm. I think the way we associate everything in politics so closely to a personality I think is very dangerous. You want to you want to have a set of ideas that you believe in, and then you need some politicians, unfortunately, to fight for you with those things. Uh, but you don't, you know, the the Trump thing. It, look, it worked at a certain degree, and it didn't work another. But the obsession with one person, I think, was ultimately dangerous. So mm -hmm. someone will appear, but I I don't think it's going to be a traditional politician. It could be a free, it could be a YouTuber. I mean, I just don't know. I don't think anyone knows really. Mm. Alongside this, one thing that shocked so many people, obviously, uh, around that time, was the way in which uh, Trump was thrown off of all those various social media platforms. It, it sort of came, became quite clear that this wasn't just some kind of theoretical threat, you know, from big tech anymore. This was something, this was a real thing. It, they really showed their, their power. Um, 
Just to go back to our original question, Dave, um, it's, it's sort of becoming clear, is it not? I, I think you said this as well in online, that, you know, if anyone, people from our political community, if you want to put it like that, have now got to start building their own institutions, right? And that goes right across the board. Uh, this is a very, this is a huge task, is it not? This is the great task of our time. The institutions are failing, and everywhere that social justice has been let in, everywhere where the idea of equity is more important than the idea of equality, meaning that outcomes should be the same, not that opportunity should be the same, they will import not only, not only bad ideas, but what happens is when you import these bad ideas and you don't hire the best people, but you hire people based on a series of other things, well, then your products, whatever it is that your institution is there to do, whether it's to make sneakers if you're a business or, or to sell food if you're a restaurant or whether it's an educational institution, whatever it might be, your product will be worse once you say, okay, there's something out there, this idea of social justice that supersedes what, what it is that our institution is meant to do. So I think the great challenge for anyone that has a flicker of free thought left is yeah, you have to start rebuilding institutions. Start. We need clear thinking people who reject these ideas to start building schools. We need them to start building tech companies. We need them to start building communities, local communities, homes. I mean, really start, start, start a bank, like a new banking system. Mm -hmm. Once this thing infects something, it infects it wholly. That it, mm -hmm. it is a look a virus. What what is a virus? What is COVID? It's very easy to catch and very hard to get rid of. That's what this set of ideas is. It is a mind virus and it will infect the host and we've seen it across the board. So our job, let's build some stuff. And by the way, you know, I'm a firm believer in human ingenuity. I mean, humans have an incredible way of, of taking terrible situations and, and making good things come out of it. So it doesn't mean that it's gonna all be great tomorrow, but I think there's tremendous opportunity right now and, and hopefully people will seize that. I mean, do you, do you do you really think you said hopefully people will seize it? I mean, are you hope? Are you genuinely hopeful? I mean, when we look at the situation here in Britain, you know, uh, for example, take publishing. Uh, it is almost entirely of the left now. I mean, and and they will actually be quite quite open about it. It's very hard to get certain books published. Certainly, if you're, you know, of a certain political uh, approach, very, very difficult. So basically, people have got to start their own publishing houses. Yeah. I mean, and they've got to get money to do this. I mean, the reason I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate a bit, because people, you know, here, they, they say they understand all the situation that you've just explained. But they say, what do we do and how do we do it? That's the no, question a, I get asked most. It, it's a great question. I get asked it, too. Yeah, I mean, first off, it's not going to be easy. It, you're absolutely right. I, we have the same problem here with publishing houses, by the way. It's much harder to get books published now be, if you're, say, right-leaning because the mob's going to come. And, and look, we know what just happened with uh, Senator Josh Howley's book. Um, you know, I, I believe it was Simon & Schuster, one of the two or three biggest publishing houses we have, dropped him. But by the way, then he was picked up by another smaller publishing house, and his book will do incredibly well. And what will happen is Simon and Schuster will lose the money they would have made on his book and the PR and all of that. 
And uh, this new company, I, I believe it's uh, Regenery or Re- Regenery. I'm not totally sure of the pronunciation. They they took the book and they will probably succeed, and that will that will help them. And then their business will do better as the archaic businesses that make bad decisions, because everyone knows. Look, you don't have to like Josh Howley. You don't have to like what he was saying about the election. He is a sitting senator in the United States. If he cannot have a publishing deal with Simon and Schuster, then we have a major problem. So in no way am I saying it's easy, but there will be opportunities for brave people, brave people who want to fund books that will be written or brave people that want to start tech companies. As you probably know, I started locals.com and we're, we're doing a sort of bottom up version of the internet. It's, it's my little, uh, I wouldn't say little at this point, it's growing quite nicely, but it's my foray into trying to fix some of this stuff by building people their own digital homes. Uh, we're going to need people across the board. But of course, it's not easy. And is everyone afraid? Yeah. And they're preying on our fear. Uh, but as FDR said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Yeah. The um, You mentioned uh, on Locals, you actually talked to us a bit about that last time, actually, Dave. I mean, how is that going? Is it is it is it growing? Oh, it's, it's going incredibly well. We're, we're sort of in our hockey stick moment and we've got a lot of people reaching out to us. We've got some nice funding. And, and in essence, as I said, we're building digital homes for creators. You should yeah. be on there. We're, we're building places so that you, any, anyone watching this, if you want a place for your stuff, for your video, for your mm-hmm. audio, for your pictures, and a news feed and friends that can like and comment and all these things, but you own all of it and you set your own rules around speech and you can directly communicate with your audience and big tech is not involved. And yes, we have some rules around behaviors. You can't post violence or pornography and a, and a few other things. Um, but what the, the fundamental difference that we're doing is there's a paywall. So you have to pay a few bucks. Everyone can decide how much they want to charge. Uh, so for my community, which is rubenreport.locals.com, it's a $5 minimum. And if you want to enter, it's free to view everything, but if you want to interact with the content, you have to pay. And what that then does is it elevates the behavior because it's very bizarre. It's like, Peter, if you wanted to buy sneakers today, you would pay for those sneakers. You wouldn't expect someone to give you free sneakers. But for some reason, we think that all of big tech, which we spend most of our life on at the moment, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all these things, they should be free. It, it makes no sense, actually. And the reason that it's free is because we're the product, right? They're, they're taking our data and, in many cases, weaponizing it against us. Mm-hmm. So I'm a I'm b- believer that we should treat the Internet the way you would treat any other good. You expect to pay for products. I, don't, I can't just walk into uh, the, you know, the store. I can't walk into the Gap and just walk out of there with a free T-shirt. I have to hand them some money. So why should the Internet all be free? Because the yeah. truth is, it isn't. So we have to yeah. rethink our relationship with the internet, I think. Yeah. Have you actually yourself, or Ruben Report, have you had any trouble in the sense of being censored or being taken down at any point over the past year? I mean, this is something that's happening more and more here. We've had it happen a couple of times from YouTube. Um, most people I know who do what I do have. Uh, there was a whole a radio channel here called Talk Radio that was actually taken off YouTube uh, en masse. You know, it was taken off. It was put back the same day, but it was taken off. And so I think there's an air of kind of nervousness now about losing our own platforms. I mean, have you experienced this? Yeah, well, first off, that's why I would encourage you or anyone listening or anyone that creates anything to to join locals and create Mm -hmm. a community because it's yours. 
And also, you know, we're a little more decentralized than these big tech companies because it's your Stripe account. It's not our Stripe account. So the mm. payments go directly to you. We've, and we're working on decentralized storage because, as you know, Parler was taken down by yeah. Amazon servers. So we're working on all of those things as well. And we have some other redundancies and everything else. But the, the total honesty is that there isn't a perfect system yet to protect mm. all of this. It just mm. doesn't exist. I mean, trust me, I'm talking to every every uh, technology person, every VC mm. person, every everyone dealing with all of the deep philosophical issues around speech online and all of these things. And there isn't a perfect system yet. And maybe there never will be a perfect system. Uh, directly to answer your question though, yeah, we've had our channel demonetized and things like that where you know, it's not even about the money, but as you probably know, when, when YouTube demonetizes a video, what that does is it also suppresses it in the algorithm because it triggers something in the mm -hmm. algorithm to say, oh, this is a dangerous video, thus we're not gonna get it out to as many people. So that's a type of censorship. My channels haven't been taken down yet, but we also know that, of course, Twitter uh, de-boosts certain things and shadow bans and hides posts mm -hmm. and the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And again, that's, that's really the problem. These companies have grown so large that even though we all use them, it's like, we can't get anybody on the phone. What, you think you could ever get someone on the phone from Twitter to explain anything or get someone on the phone from Amazon or Google to explain anything? You probably see, I, I tweet out every now and again, I would mm. gladly sit down with any representative, as I'm sure you would, mm. any representative of these companies. I'll do it with no notes. I'll treat them completely with respect. But, but it's like, you know, we don't like big government generally because it's sort of unaccountable. Well, now we have giant tech that's unaccountable. Why is it that they can wipe out the president of the United States and there's really nobody on any cable news channel uh, from the companies talking about it? That, that's quite yeah. bizarre. Uh, bizarre and actually a bit terrifying, to be honest. Uh, yeah. uh, from, from your point of view, I mean, you're still based in Los Angeles, are you, are you not? Uh, I am, for now. Yes, I was going to say, because I know some people have been moving out. I mean, Joe Rogan's gone and the, the Daily Wire. I mean, what is, from an environmental point of view, this is not really a superficial thing anymore, is it? I mean, you know, one is in a hostile environment, surely. Yeah, you know, this is, this is very personally depressing and something I've been thinking about a lot lately. But look, right now in Los Angeles, the weather is beautiful here in Southern California, as it always is. Uh, it, it's always sunny here. It very rarely rains. It's beautiful. Everyone knows about, you know, Malibu and the beaches of SoCal and why people live here and why you are willing to pay the high taxes. It's because the weather is great and, and it's mm -hmm. just, it's a nice lifestyle here. But right now I cannot go out and have a cup of coffee outside. You know, I can. I guess I can sit in my backyard and have a cup of coffee, and and I flaunt the rules. I I had some people over for dinner last night. I don't want to brag, uh, but you know, but the, but they don't even want. But quite literally, they don't want you having neighbors over for dinner. They don't want you having your parents over for dinner. Uh, you can't even do outdoor dining right now in in perfect weather. Young, healthy people are not allowed to do that. They've destroyed restaurants. They've destroyed all these small businesses. Meanwhile, you can go into Target. You can go into Walmart. You can go into Costco. Uh, so they've allowed big business to succeed while they've destroyed all the small businesses. And, and you know, it's quite depressing when you drive down the main boulevards here in Los Angeles and you just see everything boarded up and everything closed. And when you realize that those those are people's dreams, people that open restaurants, you know, in a, in a good economic time, something like 90 percent of restaurants fail in the first year. How will every anyone ever open up a restaurant again, knowing that the whims of some government official could just shut you down or change the rules on you any day. So, uh, you know, look, I know financially it makes no sense for me to be here. I know that, 
you know, as you said, Joe Rogan left, uh, Ben Shapiro took the Daily Wire out of here. I have some other friends uh, and figures that have left uh, and we're trying to decide what to do. You know, I, yeah. you know, it's not sometimes it's not so easy to pick up. But the beauty of America, by the way, is that you can do that. I mean, the beauty of the federal system is, hey, if you don't like it in California, get over, get over to Florida, where there's a fantastic governor by the name of Ron DeSantis, and, and I was in Florida a few weeks ago, and it's completely open, and people are smiling at each other, and, and business is succeeding and thriving, and Miami right now is, is the hot spot of America, because everybody's leaving California and taking their business and their skills and their talents and their family and moving there. Yes, actually, I, I saw him uh, during the, uh, during the uh, actual election last year, and I hadn't come across him before. I saw him on TV. Very impressive, I thought. Very impressive man. Oh, he's... He's excellent. He's excellent. Yeah. Um, really, David, what, what worries me most, you know, I, as somebody who's always loved America and lived in, in, in America, uh, the idea of America has had a big purchase on me for, you know, since I can remember. And it's probably the case for people of my generation. Um, now I feel that there's been a fundamental change, you know, and that you probably have to go looking to find that thing that you really liked, whereas before it was dominant. Do you think that this kind of cultural chasm um, is, is widening, is, is, despite what the president says now about bringing people together, yeah. it's essentially, it's almost unbridgeable? As I said earlier, it's unbridgeable in that these ideas, the idea of freedom versus power these mm. are i mean this is this is the endless game of human existence right i mean this is what every war has been fought over this is what every every challenging time in human history is about people who yearn to be free and people who want power these are very different things and what do you if you're someone who just wants to live free live freely well what do you do as the people who want power ever encroach on you if you don't want to use power to push back this becomes this becomes, as I said earlier, an intractable problem. And I think it is causing the idea of America, the idea that anyone can come here and we don't care where you're from and we don't care what language you speak and we don't care what color you are or, or what foods you eat or anything. Actually, we embrace that. You know, we very specifically have called America a melting pot rather than a multicultural nation. Those are very different mm -hmm. things. America's right. a melting pot. You come here, you bring your foods, your traditions, your family, your religion, and then it becomes mm -hmm. part of the stew that is America. And the exchange is, well, we're, that's going to make us all stronger because we'll have respect for different ideas. That's very different than a multicultural uh, society that sort of keeps people separate based on those things. We've done the melting pot idea better than anyone, and it's it's the the Marxists and the, and the the BLM Antifa people and and all of the wokesters now who are going at our very strength. Mm -hmm. They see the underbelly of liberalism. They see the underbelly of our tolerance, and they're jabbing it constantly. And mm -hmm. and how long can they jab it for before it before it bleeds out? I don't know. I don't know. Well, if Europe's anything to go by, you know, it's a bit like Death Watch Beetle. You know, it's basically in the structure and yeah. it goes on and goes on and you live in it. And then suddenly the house falls down. You know? I mean, that basically is it. So it's like, is Joe Biden now going to stand up to this in any way? Or is he going to strengthen the, the terrible ideas that we've been talking about here? I think it's fairly obvious that he's going to strengthen those ideas. 
I don't think Joe Biden, if we were talking to Joe Biden of 20 years ago, when he was a 58-year-old senator and he was thought of as a somewhat centrist Democrat, I don't think that man would really be very pleased with 78-year-old Joe Biden, who is importing all of these ideas. But I don't know that 78-year-old Joe Biden really has a great understanding of what's going on here. Uh, that's just the sad truth. Uh, there's obviously something not right with him cognitively. Everyone knows it, but you're not allowed to talk about it. And then one day they'll just announce, oh, Kamala's president, and they're going to pretend that nobody knew. And that's that's also dangerous. And I don't think, and even if he was 100% right now, even if he was 100%, you know, mentally sharp, yeah. I don't think he has it within him to stop this thing. Mm -hmm. I think the entropy is with this thing and it's just being imported through him. Well, Dave, it's up to people like you uh, to uh, keep the flame alive. Um, thank you very much for joining us, you know, and uh, I hope it's not another year before, uh, before we uh, speak again. But well, these, um, years, these years go by pretty quickly, so we will absolutely do it uh, sooner than that. <laughs> and and it, believe me, listen, it's up to all of us. It's up to yeah. you. It's up to anyone that speaks publicly about these things. But more importantly yeah. than that, it's up to it's up to average people. I don't, I don't like the phrase average people, actually. It's up to regular good people who are just trying to live their lives to realize that if you don't do something in this world to fix this world, then someone will do something worse. Yes. And and if you can just get over that fear point, you know, they can't fire all of us. They can't cancel all of us. But the more that you cower, the more that you acquiesce and and go into the corner and just say, oh, it'll pass me by, the more room you give them to destroy you. And that and we need more people to wake up. And And I know they're waking up and I know it ain't easy. But if more people do that, that's how we succeed. It's not just because a couple people, you know, talk yeah. about it. Well, look, thank you very much for that. On that, on that note, Dave, thank you. Um, and we shall see you soon. Uh, My pleasure. That's it. That's it from uh, so what you're saying is this week. And we shall see you next time. So thank you. Goodbye. Thanks.